letter writing is kind of a lost art. Um, not many people write letters these days. I know that uh, uh, Cadence had to write a bunch of um, letters, little thank you cards lately, you know, like for people coming to her graduation party and giving gifts, and she wrote cards. And it, it seemed, from my perspective, seemed to be like the biggest task ever. What? I have to handwrite these things? Because that art of, of writing letters is lost. Um, so young people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's kind of like um, like texting or actually texting's kind of like seems to be passe, right? What would it be? I don't know. Whatever app they're using now, but the communication of of one to another, and normally that communication, whether it's letter, whether it's email, whether it's text, whatever it would be, it's usually done from one person to another person that they know. Very rarely is it one person to a stranger. But when we dig into the book of Romans, that's exactly what it is. This is Paul writing a letter to a church that he's had no part in the planting of, no part in the development of. He hasn't met them. He hasn't visited them. But he's wanting to encourage them and point them to Jesus. And so he writes a letter. He writes what we know as the book of Romans. He wrote this uh, little background uh, on his third missionary journey, and it is Paul's fullest explanation of his preaching of the gospel. He covers a lot of ground in this book. God led Paul to write Romans to explain himself and his message of Jesus to the Gentile church, the non-Jewish church. And, and that's interesting because in the 50-plus years since Jesus had lived and died and been crucified and rose from the grave and ascended, the church had become prominently Gentile, non-Jewish, whereas it, it started, at first the gospel was first brought to um, the Jewish folks, and then it expanded where the church, the church now is predominantly Gentile folks, just, just non-Jewish, but just go there. And he writes this letter to the church in Rome. Rome is a horrible place. It is a terrible place. It is evil and it is debaucherous. It's a fearful place. It, it's a place of tyranny. It, it's a place we probably have very little imagination to know just how bad it is. Yet in this horrible place, what's taking place? People are being saved. A church is growing in the midst of this, this corrupt city. The gospel message is being spread and God is being glorified. Now, no one knows for sure who started the church in Rome. It was probably started by Jewish believers who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And then after the day of Pentecost, we read about in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, people that might have been saved on that day, believed on that day, and then went back to Rome and started this church. Again, Paul had never been to Rome, but he was desperate. You can see it in his words. He was hungry to visit there. Paul's called uh, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, yet he had never been to the capital of the Gentile world. Since he wasn't able to go there, he writes the letter that we know as Romans. Let's, let's take a look at Paul's introduction to these big city strangers in Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. And I'm just going to pause for a second. 
He's writing this to strangers. I, I think we all, I, I think when we first, you know, are, are introduced to somebody that we've never met before, sometimes it can be awkward or uncomfortable or sometimes our guard is up, our defenses are up. Sometimes there's a facade. Like, I know, like, when dudes, like, especially like younger dudes meet each other, like, when they're like, hey, you know, I mean, I, I, want, you, I want you to meet Danny. Danny, this is, this is Horatio. Y- you know what, you know what probably is going to take place between these young men? What's up? What's up? Hey, like, it, that's just what guys do. Like, you know, it's not like me where I'm like, give me a hug, Horatio. <laughs> Brother, friend. Um, and. And we're going to see a vulnerability that Paul shows, um, and, and I love how he begins. Paul, a servant, a slave, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love this introduction of Jesus that Paul makes. If, if the readers of this and the hearers of this letter didn't know Jesus at that point, I'll tell you what, they got a pretty, pretty good glimpse of who Jesus is so far. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know that there's a period in that entire sentence. That's like one big like comma-filled, run-on, awesome introduction. But I love it. And with this, Paul's introduction to the church at Rome is complete. He's introduced himself. He has introduced what's going to be his message. And he has introduced Jesus. What an introduction. We're going to pick up in verse 8 where now he starts to more deeply and more authentically encourage them. He, he makes it a point to point out the amazing impact that their faith is making, yes, in Rome, but the impact that their faith is making outside of Rome. And, and even before we read this in verse 8, I just want to encourage us. I don't think you ever realize the impact that your faith is making outside of your realm, outside of your neighborhood or outside of your home or uh, even outside of your sphere of influence. But I promise you it is greater. I promise you the impact is greater because that's what God does. He takes every bit of faith, every bit of hope, every bit of, of pointing to Jesus that we will cooperate with him in doing, and he expands it. And he, it's like a, like a seed, it's like that feather in, in Forrest Gump just traveling anywhere, and it lands in the hearts of people outside of our influence. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you 
because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Friends, don't you just love the humble attitude that Paul has towards other other Christians? I thank God, my God, for you. This is the opposite of jealousy, right? This is the opposite of pettiness. This is a hunger to encourage these people who are thriving in the work of God. And, and, and he doesn't make it about him. We do that way too often. We make it about us. We think that when we have to uplift someone else, that that somehow minimizes us. And that is, that is garbage. I was going to say crap, but I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say crap in church. That was garbage. We should be lifting people up all the time. All the time encouraging them. And actually, that pulls up as well. And that's what Paul does. He celebrates their success and how God is using them. The reason that we can thank God for what we see in other Christians is that God is the source of all spiritual blessing and power. And if he's doing it here, then we, we praise God for what he's doing here and we encourage him. Keep doing it. And if he's doing it here, then we encourage one another and we say, God's at work. And we keep doing it. And if he's doing it there, we recognize it. We encourage it. We say, man, you're making a difference. You're making an impact. Keep doing it. You're, you're killing it. Keep it up. We encourage one another, giving thanks for what God is doing, that God is alive. He's not a dead God. There is nothing good in us that arises simply because we're good, because we're not that good. We're just not. The goodness in us that makes a difference in this world comes from the Lord. It all comes from God. So Paul Paul found out about what this church was doing. He was grateful for it. And and early in his letter, after this introduction, he's like, I'm going to encourage you and rave about you. Keep it up. And the reason that we rave about what other, I, I know I'm making a point here and I'm going, but it's important. The reason we rave about what other people are doing or what other churches are doing or what each other are doing what kingdom work we're doing, because it encourages more. It encourages endurance. It encourages. It puts courage in. Paul encourages people to good works, and we should encourage one another to good works also and to shine brightly. I love Matthew five fourteen through 16. Uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is is speaking what we know as the the Beatitudes. And Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. Who's he talking to? All of us. You. And I love it because, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus is the most glorious light. He is light. But he says, you are the light of the world. Why does he say that? Because when we're, Filled with him, we are a light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your 
light be seen by men. Let your good works be seen by men because your, your Father in heaven is going to be glorified for it. I love it. So shine. Shine, my friends. Shine, my shy friends who don't want to shine. Shine. Shine the glory of God that is within you so people can see it. Let's pick back up in verse 9 of, of Romans 1. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Man, I dig this, and I dig this for so many reasons. This, this, these two verses is so chock full of goodness. Number one, look at how Paul serves the Lord. Look at how he serves God with his spirit. And in the light of God's good news. I point that out because, honestly, you guys, if we aren't careful and if we allow ourselves to become passive, it is, I think it's easy to serve the Lord just in your body and more specifically just in your butt. Just, just coming and grabbing a seat on a Sunday morning, paying some sort of homage to God by being in this place because it's Sunday at 10 and that's what we do. So we serve God with our body. We serve with our butt and we sit there. And that's not what God has called us to do. That's not the extent of what brings life and, and what causes our light to shine. This is a very distinctive kind of danger. Sometimes people feel like they don't have to participate in worship. They don't have to participate in the word. Not just, not just hear the word, not just listen to the word, but participate in the word. Because there has to be a receiving and an acting upon, an obedience to, to God's word that, that is participation in this work. Some folks only serve God with their emotions, their feelings, the parts of the service they like. I've known plenty of dudes that are like, they'll stand out there and drink coffee during worship. I mean, not in this place, of course. It's never happened here. But they'll stand out there and drink coffee during worship. Because, ah, worship's not for me. Worship's not for me. I like the preaching. Man, I challenge that. I challenge that. I challenge that, that thinking. We aren't just to, to worship him with our emotions and the parts that, that we like or that we're even that we're comfortable with. I'm so good with you guys not being comfortable. I'm so good with that. My job is not to make you comfortable. My job, if anything, is to challenge you, to make you a little uncomfortable, and, and to get you to challenge maybe thinking that we've bought into that doesn't line up with God's will. Some people only serve out of obligation and not in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If salvation is a good thing, and deliverance, and being healed, and rescued, and grace, and healing, and life in and through Jesus Christ. If these are good things, if these are great things, shouldn't that be all the motivation we need? Why, why do we need a, an additional motivation to, to serve our God with the entirety of who we are? If God is good. Paul claims to serve God in his spirit, which means this, that his 
service to God is sincere. It's authentic. No one makes it do it. He's not doing it out of some funky religious obligation. He's been there. He's done that. He's like, that's not what this is. I serve him with my spirit. He's saying, just authentically, I serve him with my all. He has my heart. And so I will serve him with my whole heart. He lived to serve his Savior. So let me, let me read that passage from 9 and 10 again, because I just, L-O-V-E, I love this section. Without ceasing, I mention you in my prayers. I mention you in my prayers. Now, I speak all for all the, 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 the elders here at Impact Rock, um, that we would love for you to pray for us, because we, we need it. We need wisdom. We need strength. We need just to be aware of the presence of God, that he is with us in all situations. So, so we invite your prayers and we say we need it. But if you ain't going to pray for us, could you just mention us to the Lord every now and then? I love that Paul says this. I, I mention you in my prayers. So I'm, we're perfectly fine to be like, Lord, and I just pray that you just bless my kids and Lord bless the Broncos and the, oh, and uh, the Smiths and the Harpers. And then bless, did I say bless the Broncos? Bless the Broncos. And, and then just go up, just a mention is all we'll take. And I love that Paul says this. There's, there's a dialogue we're supposed to have with the Lord that's not just a list of bless me. It's dialogue. If you think about it, it you know, if, if Anthony and I are hanging out and we're talking, I might mention something that Euchre said. I might mention Euchre in our conversation. I might mention Elaine. And then we go back to our conversation. And I, I really feel like that that's what our dialogue with the Lord is supposed to be like. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Did you guys, did you guys catch the, the very distinct verbiage here? Are you seeing the vulnerability in this somehow? Somehow. God's, God's in control, and, and, and Paul, Paul is glorifying the Lord, but he's being vulnerable here saying, I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to make it to you. Somehow, I'm, I'm praying that somehow I will. But I love his transparency. He's like, I don't have all the answers. I'm just hoping that somehow I can make it to you. And then he says this, that I may now at last succeed. He's saying, I have failed up till now in coming to you. Man, I really want to. You guys, that's my heart. I really, I really want to be with you, and I've tried. I just haven't succeeded. And he's being this vulnerable with strangers. Sometimes I forget to stop and unpack things that I say so emphatically. Guys, if Paul can be this vulnerable with strangers, man, can't can't we be equally as vulnerable with brothers and sisters with one another? Transparent when we're hurting, trans- transparent when we're happy, when when we're celebrating. You know, yesterday there those they were here at the church working, and and I went up to Andy because it was something that just kind of robbed me of my peace and. And I, I couldn't shake it. 
and I was just getting fixated on it. So I walk up to Andy, and I didn't ask him, hey, bro, could you please pray for me? You know what I said? you got to pray for me. you got to pray for me right now. I have no peace. I need peace. I mean, I, I, it just, bleh. you got to pray for me. And so he stood up, and he, and he prayed for me, and I found peace, and God is good. But we should be transparent and vulnerable with one another. Have I made that point? Have I made that point? We're good? Okay, I'm going to move on. Hawk, who, who is just a dear friend to me and just an awesome member of this church, he's so good at reminding me, we're not the strong ones in this relationship. You're not the strong one. God's the strong one. Moms think they got to be the strong ones because they're the strong one for their kids, right? So our moms are strong, so they think i got to be the strong one. You ain't the strong one. You're the weak one in this relationship. God's the strong one. Men think they got to be the strong one because they're the head of the house, and they're the men, and I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm the strong one. You ain't the strong one. He's the strong one. And as soon as we accept this place, of submission to the Lord and saying, you're strong and I am weak and I need you now as much as I've ever needed you. We'll be better for it. And when we're weak, you guys, we don't hang, hang our heads in shame. We just, we just get up and we just set our focus on the Lord and we just keep walking. When, when we fail, God doesn't say, hey, you need to go clean yourself up. You need to go take a shower, put on some cologne, do some Hail Marys, um, run some laps. Wouldn't mind, wouldn't hurt you if you fasted a couple meals. Then come back to me and you can join me what I'm doing. If anything, I think the Lord says, here, let me, let me get your knees. Let me, let me get, come on. Here, let's go. You need to catch your breath? I'll wait. I'll wait. Let's go. Ready? Let's go. gives us a glimpse of, of how God's guidance sometimes is that unpredictable nature of, man, I, I've been doing the things I, I thought I'm supposed to be doing, but it just hasn't worked so far. But by the grace of God, I'm, I'm going to stay the course, and somehow I'm hoping to come see you. Guys, when, when we think we've heard from the Lord, and maybe we know we've heard from the Lord, but it just hasn't unpacked the way that we thought, just stay the course. Just trust the Lord. That's why we need endurance to stay in this race. Don't give up and don't question. Well, maybe maybe I, I thought I heard from you, Lord. And the Lord's like, you did. Trust my timing. It would be 11 years after this letter that Paul gets to go see them. 11 years after he says, I'm so desperate to, to come see you that he gets to see them. Stay the course. Verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you. That's awesome, right? That's thoughtful. That's generous. I want to be with you so I can strengthen you. I want to be with you so I can impart some spiritual gift to you so that I can encourage you. And so I, I, I want to strengthen you. However, Paul doesn't, doesn't stay there because he doesn't want them to think that he's proud and he, he's just coming in and, and he's the one that's benefiting all. No. He immediately adds something so cool. Next verse, verse 12. That is that we may be mutually 
encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Isn't that awesome? Paul makes it abundantly clear. I expect to be strengthened by you too. I'm not just coming in to, to preach to you. I'm not just coming in in this big apostolic role to, to uh, strengthen you. I need to be strengthened right back. I need to be encouraged right back. You've got something good to give to me. You've got something good to pour into me. And so I come, yes, ready to preach, ready to share. But I also come ready to receive. Are, are we prepared? To be a blessing at all times. I, I think most of the time we're, we're, we're prepared to, to um, be blessed at all times. Are we prepared to be a blessing at all times? Okay, I love public prayer. I think it's, I think it's one of the most awesome things in the world. Because it usually just catches people off guard. And it's usually so impactful. Because usually somebody shares something vulnerable. And, and usually it's a... A glimpse of it. It's not like the full thing. It's a glimpse. Hey, how are you doing today? Uh, talk to me. What's uh? And like unpack that for me. N- normally people would give you the uh, right? Eh. They, they don't want to go full transparency. Are we prepared to be a blessing at that moment? Are we prepared to pray and to encourage, to uplift? So that we're mutually encouraged. You guys, this... This, this, we're 12 verses into Romans chapter 1, and it's just so awesome. If we will patiently just chew on this and see what God has, it's such good stuff. In verse 13, he tells them more of his hopes and plans. Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented from coming to you, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. My intention is to come to you, to reap a harvest among you and among the other Gentiles. When you bring in the harvest, and I, I know that this isn't you know, like a, a huge farming community, but I think we all understand the concept of farming. When you bring in the harvest, does it, does it feed just one? Does it feed just a couple? Does it feed just a household? When Paul's talking about bringing in the harvest, this is his way of saying, This isn't just about you. Then he even mentions the the other Gentiles. I don't even know who they are. I don't even know who the other Gentiles he's referencing are. I don't think, because of the context, I don't think he's talking about, like, Gentiles in his region where he is. I think he's talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God in Rome and that there's others outside of this church that this letter is going to. And he's saying, and a harvest among them as well. We have to have the bigness of God's strength and might and power and love in our mind. It is never just about me. It is never just about you. Never. God always wants it to be bigger. God always wants his kingdom to be expanded. 
Always. Always. We just need reminders. It's in you guys. I'm just letting you know it's in you. The light is within you. And that's a dark world that needs to be illuminated by the love of God. Verse 14. I am under obligation. We don't use that word a whole lot. Obligation. What's obligation? Like a a sense of duty. What's that? Say it again. It's a debt. I feel indebted. There's compulsion. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and and to barbarians. Could he, could he use a more dramatic comparison? And then he says, both to the wise and the moronical and the foolish. He's using great contrast, saying, I'm indebted to the Greeks, to the sophisticated, to the classy, to the polished, to those who've got their mess together. But I'm also indebted to the rude, to the crass, the unpolished. I'm indebted to the wise. See, because this was like classy, and then all of a sudden now this is like rude and unpolished. Now I'm going to flip it. You know, I'm indebted to the wise and the foolish. I'm obligated to share Jesus with those I understand and I relate to, and I'm obligated to share Jesus with those that I don't understand. And I don't relate to. I'm a, I'm a gut kind of guy. Some of you guys are heart kind of folks. And some of you are head kind of folks. I'm a gut kind of guy. You know, check the gut. Yeah, feels right. Yeah. Let's do it. My gut says do, do it. And the head people are like, no, no, no. We need like five hours to figure this out. You can't, we can't make that decision in five seconds. You made that decision in five seconds. And the other's like, well, now I don't feel like, I don't feel in my heart that this, I don't, I don't know what to feel. Because we all respond different ways. I'm, I'm, I shoot from the hip, I'm like, gut. We don't have to sit there and, and process everything to figure out if this is something God wants us to do. And a lot of times we do that. Lord, I feel like you want me to pray for that person, but Lord, I don't know if you want me to pray for that person. Uh, Lord, if I pray for that, Lord, would you let me know? Give me a sign real quick if you want me to pray for that person. Lord, give me a sign. Give me a sign. I need to know. Okay, now it's been too long. Lord, you waited too long. When's the last time you felt under obligation? Like compelled. Compelled to share. When's the last time we said, you know what? If I lose my job, God will give me another job. I'm 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 gonna t- I'm gonna pray for this person and tell them that God loves them. Paul is saying I'm bound by duty to share Jesus with everyone, the understood and the misunderstood. Paul sees that the gospel is so remarkable. The good news of Jesus Christ is so remarkable. How could he not share it? Friends, there has to be something about knowing Jesus that compels us to not put a, put a basket over that light. 
because instinctively there's not a basket over the light. We have to put it there. We have to dampen the light. Instinctively the light is there and we shine. It's a conscious effort we make to hide the light. Shine. Paul takes it a lot further in 1 Corinthians 9.16, and I'm going to read it from the Passion. He says this, For you see, even though I proclaim the good news, I can't take credit for my labors, for I am compelled to fulfill my duty by completing this work. It would be agony to me if I did not constantly preach the gospel. Oh my gosh, I love that. Don't you love that? It would wreck me to not share Jesus. It would be unbearable to me to not love on folks. It would be unbearable to me to not go sit next to that student in the cafeteria that always eats lunch alone. It would be unbearable for me to not love her. Lord, we ask you to scrape the hardness of our hearts and give us a new heart. Lord, give us a heart that that reflects this passage we just read. What a terrible danger the the world is in without knowing the Lord. What a terrible danger. How can we not tell them about Jesus? The gospel of Jesus Christ is true, and it is right, and it is appropriate for every class of people, every group of people, every political affiliation of people, every age, it is truth. Do you guys realize that you've got something to give and that there's a hungry world who needs you to give it? You do. And and if we'll fight past insecurity and if we'll fight past comfort and if we'll fight past busyness, God will use us in ways that will be remarkable. I say it all the time. Man, I didn't go to seminary. I'm a graphic designer. I'm a graphic designer that God called to pastor. I didn't go to seminary. It's kind of funny and uncomfortable when I'm around a bunch of pastors. Like, I went to this seminary. I went to this seminary. I went to this seminary. I'm like, I played football. I played football and made shapes on the computer. (laughs) This brings me to my favorite three-verse passage in the entire Bible. In all of Scripture, there is nothing for me that can touch Romans 1, 15 through 17. I love it. Let's get there. Verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Man, this could be like my verse. I'm excited. I'm excited to preach the gospel to you who are fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. I love what the passion says. This is why I am so excited about coming to preach the wonderful message of Jesus to you in Rome. Paul's ready. He's excited. He's eager. He's chomping at the bit to do what? To share Jesus. To preach the good news. The truth is that Paul was excited to walk through any door of opportunity that God would open to him. We need to look for those doors that the Holy Spirit is opening to us, and then we need to be comfortable to share right there who we are, right where we are. 
Don't be anyone other than you. Be you and let God use you because he loves you. He thinks you're awesome. He laughs. He, you crack him up. He gets your sense of humor, even though a lot of people don't. He knows you. He, he reads between the lines so wonderfully, and he wants to use you. Just let him. Excited. Eager. Now, I'll admit, this is not a stretch for me. You know that. This isn't a stretch for me. This is how God made me. Excitable. Excited. Someone described me one time. It was, uh, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this. But as a big old excited St. Bernard on testosterone doses or something like it was like whatever it was it was like super superlative and like exaggerative I'm like okay yeah that's, that's all right sure I'll take it except I don't know why I got to be a Doberman I'm more of like a Doberman I'm, uh, instead of being like a St. Bernard you know just because it was the biggest dog that's kind of rude whatever I'm a Doberman When I was in high school, I, I, I never left the field. I played, I played offense, I played defense, I played special teams. I would come out off the field maybe a few times a game. And I would get my Gatorade. Gatorade, the official thirst-quenching drink of Impact Rock Church. Maybe we'll get paid for that, I don't know. I'd get my Gatorade. I'd sit out a couple plays and I'd go stand next to the coach. I'm like, okay, I'm good coach, I'm ready, let's go. He's like, it's okay, Harp, we're good. Take a rest. I'm like, no, nah, coach, I'm good. I'm rested. Put me back in. Let's go. I'm good. And then finally, because I'm a little dense sometimes, Coach Phillips, he turned to me. He's like, Harper, would you let Pike get some snaps? Pike needs to get some snaps. We're, you know, let him play. I'll put you back in soon. Okay, coach, okay. And then I take my focus off myself. But I never left his side. Uh, I, we, good, we good now? I just wanted to be in the game. But I, I still feel that way. And friends, shouldn't we all feel that way? Shouldn't this passage of I'm excited to preach the gospel be all of our mantra? I'm excited to love on folks. I'm excited to point them to Jesus. I'm eager to get in the game. Let me, let me say this, making as much eye contact as I can, starting left to right and scanning the room. If you ain't in the game, why aren't you in the game? If you have put yourself on the sideline, why are you staying on the sideline? Because I haven't put you there. God hasn't put you there. Get in the game. Get in the game. There's room for you on the field. You're needed out there. Take yourself off the shelf. Take yourself off the bench. All right, now I'm just getting offensive. But I'm serious. I'm totally serious. I'm totally serious. God needs you. Um, Danny, hold on before you go to the bathroom. Do you think I would have a bigger impact with your circle of friends, or do you think you would have a bigger impact with your circle of friends? The answer is you. He's thinking about it. The answer is you. Because I'm old, man. And I, you're, you're young, and you're cool, and and... Your struggles are their struggles. You're going to have a bigger, bigger impact. Now, I, can, I might have a role, but you're going to have a bigger impact with your circle of friends because God has placed you there. All right, I'm sorry. You, you go get that coffee now. 
or, or to the bathroom. It doesn't matter. It's, uh, sorry, bro. It's, it's, that's my bad. That's, I'll, I'll cook you a burger later or something. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you excited? Are you eager? Are you ready? I'm going to read verse 15 and lead into 16 again. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Favorite verse in the Bible. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes offered to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friends, we got to recognize exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is power. The gospel is power to heal. The gospel is power to save. The gospel is power to rescue. The gospel is power to set free. We've got to recognize what the gospel is. And then we've got to, to purpose in our hearts to not be ashamed of that gospel. It's an announcement of good news. Good news that in and through the completed work of Jesus Christ that we can be whole, that we can be saved. Jesus has done it all. He's done all that's needed. We just have to believe. That's it. Because of the work of Jesus, in and through that work of Jesus Christ, we're empowered to be saved. God made the way for us to be forgiven. He's made the way for shame to be broken in our lives. The gospel has huge and measurable power. This is why Paul was not one tiny bit afraid or intimidated or ashamed to try to get to Rome and bring the gospel to him. He's trying to get the gospel to the church in Rome. Well, aren't they saved? Aren't they saved? Didn't he just rave before about the impact they were making, not just in Rome, but the world? Isn't he, isn't he talking to people that's saved? Yeah, probably. Probably a lot of them are saved. Most of them, maybe all of them, right? Maybe all of them are saved. I don't know. The gospel isn't just for those who haven't believed in Jesus yet. The good news of Jesus Christ is for all of us. We all need the gospel again and again and again. So maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm hurting. So I am in need of the gospel to be reminded that he's my healer. So I've given my life to the Lord because I'm not talking about getting saved again and again and again. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about receiving the gospel again and again and again. Being reminded and believing that he is my healer, that he is my deliverer, that he is my rescue. Maybe I feel a little lost. Maybe I've lost focus. I need to be reminded that he's my life and that he will set me back on course and that he has nothing but grace for me, nothing but love for me. The gospel isn't just for the lost. Somehow the church has lost this and we think the gospel is just for those who haven't believed in Jesus. It's for all of us. This is a good spot to say like amen or yeah or heck yeah or like woo or something. This is for us the church here we go 
Paul knew that God's news about Jesus would change lives. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God's good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done will change lives? Because if we believe that, then we've got to be eager and excited to share that. The theme of Paul's letter to the Romans is contained in verse 16. The theme of Romans is salvation. Sozo is the Greek word, sozo. And it means saved, rescued, healed, delivered. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus has paid the price to do. That's what we can have and who we can be because of the work of Jesus. We can be saved, rescued, healed, delivered. I'm mostly healed. Praise God, I'm mostly healed. But there are still things that you can touch a nerve. You can touch a nerve. And things that I thought were fully healed, I'm like, oh, that was ugly. Like, ah. They touched that nerve, and I thought I was healed there, but I still fear that. I still feel that. I'm, I'm mostly healed, but here's the good news, the gospel. My healer, Jesus is my healer. And so I will run to him and say, Jesus, I'm still in need of your healing touch. I'm, I'm in need of, I need you. And he's there. The word sozo implies that we are brought into a situation of safety and well-being. Like it's just like a big old just inclusive hug that the Lord just brings in. And that's this word sozo. It's we're brought into him. We're brought into well-being. So I'm going to fly through these. If you want my notes later, I can send them to you. But the New Testament We are said to be saved from God's wrath, from God's enmity towards us, from alienation from God, from sin, from loss, from a futile way of life, from bondage, from demonic possession. And the starting point is the provision of a gift that we cannot attain on our own. Righteousness. Righteousness, verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in verse 17, we finally come to the heart of what Paul has to say to the Romans. The gospel is God's power. And in God's power, the gift of righteousness of God is revealed. The embarrassing situation of humankind, of mankind, the embarrassing fact is this. God demands that we should be righteous. But we're not capable of producing a righteousness that's good enough. What can we do? We're all sinners. We all go off target. We all go into wrongdoing from the start, from day one. Many of our ideas, if not all of our ideas about God and righteousness are often wrong. God wants righteousness of heart, but we among, I mean, above everyone else, we know our heart. He wants righteousness of heart. You're like, oh, I'm a little wicked. Lord, I'm I'm a little evil. I'm a little jacked up. Uh, Whatever word you want. Lord, I'm, I'm a mess. You say you want this, but I know this heart. I know my thoughts. 
it, it ain't righteous. Maybe I'm just preaching that. That's just to me. The gospel is God's power. And in God's power, the gift of the righteousness of God is revealed. God demands 100% righteousness. So how do we produce 100% righteousness? Because we can't do it on our own, right? Here's the good news. What we are unable to produce, God is able and willing to provide. And that's righteousness. He will give us a righteousness not of our own making or our own efforts or our own goodness, but a righteousness that comes entirely from him. The righteousness that is given by God is never achieved by us. That should bring us peace. That should bring us hope. But I think it also should provide a, a slight attack from the enemy because the enemy wants us to make it all about us. Don't listen to him. You're good. You're good. You can do it. What's he talking? He doesn't know your righteousness. You're righteous. Who's the righteous little girl? You're the righteous little girl. No, you ain't. Your righteousness is filthy rags is what Paul goes on to later say. It's a mess. Your, <laughs> your righteousness is a mess. Our righteousness is from God and God alone. And it has nothing to do with anything in ourselves at all. And because of that, here's the great part. It's the basis of our confidence in our salvation. It's the basis of our assurance because his righteousness is enough. I know I always use Elaine as my example for this, but she's just such a great example. She might be the best human being I know in the world. She might be. I have that much respect for her. But her righteousness is not enough. I've known her since the 90s. I've known her a long time. She's awesome. She's, she has such a good heart, but her righteousness is not enough. She needs God's righteousness. And that goes for every single one of us. God's righteousness is perfect. It is sinless. And it is fully acceptable to God. His own righteousness is acceptable to him. Our righteousness, is it acceptable to him? No. I'm shaking my head because I don't. Our righteousness is not acceptable to him. His righteousness is acceptable to him. And that's why he has clothed us in it. This is why Paul constantly says that salvation is without works. Salvation is without works. Now, he earlier said, I want to I praise you for your good works. I want to encourage you because of your good works. I want to let you know that your good works are making an impact, that your good works are making a difference. I want to encourage you with that. And I want to say, keep doing those good works. But he says again and again, your salvation is not through your works. It is through Christ and Christ alone. Secured for you by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The second we believe in him. 
the second we believe in him, we are saved. You don't even got to clean yourself up. You just got to start walking with him and let him cleanse us from all unrighteousness as he clothes us with his righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. There's a good-hearted and a well-meaning saying, but it's total garbage. It's total garbage. I hate this saying. Well-intentioned. I know it's well-intentioned. I know it is. But it's garbage. And the saying is this. You are enough. I, I know it's good intention, but it's just not true. You're not enough. You are not enough. I'm not enough. I can't heal myself. And neither can you. You can't save yourself. You can't set yourself free. You can't deliver yourself. You're just not enough for that task. But you in Christ Jesus is enough. You are enough in Christ Jesus. You are not enough on your own. I am not enough on my own. But in Jesus, I'm enough. Does that make sense? Are you ready for the, for the big butt? I like big butts. You aren't enough, but Jesus is. This is why we cling to him. This is why we spend time to him. This is why we trust in him. How powerful these, these last two verses, Romans 116 and 117. It's so powerful that Paul will take the rest of this book of Romans to open these two verses up to the church at Rome. He has this remarkable introduction. He starts to share his message of Jesus. And in two verses, he makes declarative statements that the rest of this book, he'll unpack those statements. The name of this series is Faith in His Faithfulness. And here's where we get this. Verse 17, from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith for faith. From faith for faith. It doesn't even roll off the tongue well. What does that mean? It means when we're putting our faith in Jesus, we're putting our faith in his faithfulness. When we're putting our faith in Jesus, we're putting our faith in his faith in his heavenly father. Isn't that remarkable? I, I've got very little faith. In, in my faith, but I've got every confidence in Jesus' faith and in his faithfulness. We put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus and in the personal faith of Jesus. 
I want to close in a moment by reading those three verses together, verses 15 through 17. I just want to encourage us with this before I do. The righteous person, the person clothed in the righteousness of God, has life. They have life through holding on to the faithfulness of God. The righteous person who, who is righteous because of faith in Christ and Christ alone, not, not Jesus plus anything else, not Jesus plus your strength, not Jesus plus your resourcefulness, not Jesus plus anything else, but in Christ alone, they are righteous and they are at peace because of him. Romans 1, 15 through 17. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. we stand, I just want to pray over us and then I'll bless us today. Uh, Jesus, teach us. Jesus, we're listening and we're hungry and we're in need of, of you. We thank you that it's not about our righteousness, even though we're pretty sufficient people. We're pretty, we're pretty strong people. We're pretty talented. None of that matters when it comes to righteousness. That only comes from you. And so we thank you that, that your righteousness is pleasing to you. And when you look at us, that's what you see, your righteousness. For all who have trusted in you, what you see is your righteousness covering us. Teach us, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room who has lost the excitement to share the good news. Lord, would you just fan into flame that excitement once again? Would you fan into flame that fire once again, Lord God? Would you point out distractions that might keep any of us from sharing you? Lord, would you just lovingly highlight any insecurities or selfishness that keeps us from sharing you? And would you heal us where the, those insecurities and those self-focused things are there, Lord? Lord, I just pray blessing over everyone in this place, Lord God. And I give you thanks that they are making an impact well beyond what they realize, what they know. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll leave you guys with this blessing. And then just go have a wonderful day, wonderful weekend. Enjoy the 4th of July and the 3rd of July. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You're making a difference. You're making an impact. And I pray for you this week that the Lord would show you and that you would see the impact you're making. Love you guys. Have a great day.